0: Every, apparently every week I come up here, there's going to be some sort of dessert stashed for me. So I just want to point that out as a, uh, as a tradition we've now started. All right. Good morning, guys. Unbelievable. Hey, it's good to be back together. It's beautiful to worship together. Um, if you're a guest with us, welcome. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here, and you have joined us right as we are starting a new series Short series, we're going to take a high-level look at the book of Esther for three weeks. Today, we're going to be covering the first five chapters of Esther. If you want to go ahead and turn to where we're going to end up, we'll be in Esther chapter 4. Five chapters of Esther in 35 minutes, wrestling with this question. Are you there, God? I have a bit of a heavy heart that I was crying all through Sunday school. I cried all through worship. This is one of every sermon that a preacher preaches he needs and then sometimes he knows he needs it. But there are there are times in every one of our lives where we wonder how much God is paying attention to us. We wonder if he cares what's happening to us. There are times in each of your life where you unconsciously or consciously ask, are you there, God? Massively significant question, and we're going to ease into that question by considering the fact that life is full of important questions that almost as soon as we can begin to think as humans, we start asking questions of ourselves, questions of the world around us that have massively substantive impact on us. Uh, Will you be my friend is one of those questions. This is significant, one of the first questions that, that children ask. My family's just, in the last few months, moved back to Tennessee from California My daughters are at the age where they've asked this question of other little girls recently. Will this be my friend? Whether or not someone says yes or who says yes shapes your life. Who am I? This question also starts really early. Uh, Am I the athlete? Am I the bookworm? Am I the techie? Am I the pretty girl? Am I the funny guy? Am I the nerd? Who am I? Significant question that dramatically shapes how we live. What do I like? What am I going to be when I grow up? Will you marry me? When Scarlett and I were dating, I must have asked her that question hundreds of times. Uh, Anytime she did something that I thought was cute or funny or cool, I would say, will you marry me? And after several of those, she started saying, not until you have a ring. And I still ask it hundreds of times, but then one day I asked it with a ring, and it was one of the most significant questions in my life. We've spent basically every day together for the last 17 years because of that question. Life is full of huge questions. Who am I? What am I going to be? Will you marry me? But, But the question that we are wrestling with in this brief series blows all of those questions away. Are you there, God? and we've all asked that question especially in difficult seasons of is, is he real if he's real does he care your dream didn't come true and you wonder if god was god not paying attention god were you not paying attention to this dream you lost a loved one and you wondered if god is really working in anything at all what has been that moment for you moment to be not existent or god seems to not be listening, or God seems to not be involved. Maybe you're living in that moment right now. Someone in our church just last week, in fact, I had several conversations after church last week that made me go, huh, I happen to be preaching about that next week. But someone in our church shared with me how his, I believe it was his brother and sister-in-law had to deliver their baby who died in the womb at 34 weeks. And we cried together standing over here, And we basically, the question that we discuss together is, where is God in this? Sometimes our our hearts ask the question, are you really there, God? But back in July, I planned today to start teaching Esther. And what we're going to see through the story of Esther is that it is impossible for God to be absent. It's impossible for God not to be working. It's impossible for God to forget his people. The answer to the question, Are you there, God? is literally always yes. What we get to see today is this. So think of this sentence in three parts God is always working for the good of his people. God is always working for the good of his people. And to help us see this without reading a full five chapters of Esther, I'm going to give you the overview of the story. It's going to take me several minutes. You've got to, like, get comfortable for a narrative right now. We're going to, then we're going to focus on one paragraph of Scripture that unlocks this story. So as I give the synopsis, every one of you, even, even the kids, unless you're, unless you're sticker packs. Do we have sticker packs? Okay, unless your sticker packs are just so compelling, which is fine. Try to identify where God might be working in the events that I'm about to share, okay? So the book of Esther opens. Some of God's uh, special Old Testament people, the Jews, they have found themselves in exile in Persia. So now I'm just going to tell you the story for like five minutes. The story starts with this unreal feast put on by the king of Persia. His name is Ahasuerus. His Greek name is Xerxes, you may have seen him in the movie 300. That's who we're talking about here. Crazy. He's a powerful ruler. He's thrown this 180-day party. Everybody's drunk, they're partying, Xerxes decides he wants to show off his pretty wife. He sends for her. She refuses to be summoned. Then the king is furious. He divorces his wife, bans her from his presence. So Xerxes lets the kingdom know that Vashti, his wife, is out and that he is now looking for a new queen. So they scour the, the land searching for the most beautiful women. In one of the provinces, we find a man named Mordecai and his cousin Esther. And we read that when Esther's parents died, that Mordecai adopted her. So Esther had been an orphan. The Bible says she's very beautiful. Esther is taken into Xerxes' harem along with all these other virgins that they collect. The women are put through a system for a year to prepare to see Xerxes. Six months of beauty treatments, six months of perfume treatments, whatever that might mean before they're even brought to the king for a night. And each day we read that while Esther's going through this, Mordecai would come by and visit her and talk with her, and he tells her not to reveal that she is Jewish. Esther is hiding the fact that she is a Jew. Are you tracking with the story so far? We're about halfway there. Now, Esther is finally summoned for her time before the king. He's blown away with her her beauty. The Bible says... Right after Esther becomes queen, Mordecai discovers a plot to assassinate Xerxes and the plot is foiled because Mordecai tells Esther who tells Xerxes and Mordecai gets the credit and at this point of the story you would expect Mordecai to be rewarded for his deeds, but this is now beginning in chapter 4 and instead we read about another man named Haman who is promoted to a high position in the kingdom. And if you know the story, you know this is not good because Haman is evil and Haman hates God's people, the Jewish people. So Haman essentially convinces the king to annihilate the Jews. Xerxes gives Haman full authority to do as he pleases and he announces that all of the Jews in Persia will be killed in 11 months. So Mordecai is obviously destroyed. He's distressed. He mourns in sackcloth and ash. He sends a messenger To Esther and says hey you're the queen right Esther you can do something right and she writes back through a messenger explaining to Mordecai that she no longer even really sees Xerxes and that she cannot go before the king at all unsummoned without risking her life so unless he gives her grace she'll be killed on the spot I'm not going to give you a quiz on all that we just covered But that's an overview of the first four chapters of Esther, and I want us to read one paragraph to help us understand what is happening and help us understand the answer to this most crucial question, are you there, God? This is Esther 4, 13 through 17. So they've been passing the messages back and forth. Esther has just said, I can't help because if I go before the king unsummoned, I will die. And then we read in verse 13, Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you. Relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place... ...but you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish... I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded them. Are you there, God? And you can absolutely ask that question as you encounter the story that we've just breezed through. Because can you imagine being a Jew in Persia at this time? God's people are publicly about to be destroyed. They're already exiles in a foreign land. These are a powerless people. Now the nation in which they live have committed to killing them. Where is God in all this? You probably noticed that I didn't mention him one time in my overview. I just gave you a 600 plus word synopsis of the story and God was not one of those words. Neither was Lord or Messiah because God is never mentioned. Not one time in the entire book of Esther. God's people need to be rescued and he's nowhere to be seen. Have you ever felt that way? How can there be a book of the Bible that doesn't mention God? That's actually the point of the book of Esther. You see, this is so beautiful. The absence of God as a visible character, person, voice in the story, it's a literary device meant to teach us that God is there even when we don't see him. Like the structure of the book of Esther itself is trying to help us learn, us know thousands of years later that God is the narrator of every story. He's the center of every story, even when we don't think he even has a speaking part. It's absurd. On the face of it, it is absurd that God is not mentioned in a recorded story of his people, but it's actually designed that way to make us look for him. Maybe your heart right now is wondering, God, are you really there? Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's someone you know. Maybe that'll be you 12 months from now. God, are you, hmm? Are you paying attention? Let's start with the first part of the answer to that question. God is. God is, church. He's real even when you don't see him. He's right there no matter what your circumstances look like. Let's do what the author intended for us to do and read between the lines that we've just read. We read the words, let's now read between the words. Look again at verse 14 and 16. Verse 14 says, Who knows? Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then verse 16. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Sissa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. But when you remember that God's name was excluded in order to highlight his hidden presence, it actually reads a little more like this. If you're reading between the lines the way the author of Esther intended to you, this is a little bit what it would sound like. Maybe, hey, maybe, just perhaps you have come to this. Someone, and we don't even have to say his name. Maybe someone behind all this is setting you up, Esther, to to play a part in rescuing your people. You see, you can do the same thing with verse 16. Esther's response further forces us to glimpse the hand of God in the background of the story. She says to Mordecai, you and your friends fast, me and my friends will fast, and maybe, just maybe, he who we are not even naming will intercede to rescue us. God is never mentioned, but his presence is shouting between the lines As he intended it to the book of Esther wants us to see that God is always there even we when we don't see him even when we don't hear him and what I want to do is to encourage our hearts just with the simple fact that God is even when we don't see him and the way we're going to do this is through thinking caps on. All ages, even if you're not a child, you've got a skin cap on right now. Because what we're going to do is we're going to look at two famous logical arguments for the existence of God and the biblical truths that they align with. So I'm going to share two reasons to believe that God is that can help us be encouraged by how God works, okay? The first is the cosmological argument for the existence of God. That's right. You're getting the cosmological argument right now. So the cosmological argument, follow with me, we can can do this. The cosmological argument says that everything that had a beginning has a cause. Everything that had a beginning has a cause. That's self-evident because nothing can't produce something, right? That's all that's saying. Nothing can't produce something. So if it had a beginning, it had a cause. Second... The universe had a beginning. We know that the universe had a beginning because to suggest otherwise is the same as saying that the universe goes backward in time infinitely. Right? That's called an infinite regression. And we know that the earth can't go backward in time infinitely because if there were an infinite number of days before today, today would never have gotten here. But guess what? It's today. It's here. We're here at today. So, everything that had a beginning had a cause. The universe had a beginning. Therefore, the universe must have a capital C cause. And it must be a capital C cause because any other explanation would, in and of itself, have to be physical. So, it would require its own cause. So, we're always going to get back to God, which sounds a whole lot like John chapter 1 in the beginning was the capital W word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then watch, through him were all things made, and without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. God is the uncaused causer of everything. Okay, so that's just one. Then there's the teleological argument. This one's more famous. It goes like this. All designs imply designer. So design implies designer. My wife and I both drive Nissan Sentras. And several years ago, I got an offender fender bender in my Nissan Sentra, and a piece actually fell off. And I didn't know what it was, and I don't know a lot about cars, so I went online looking for this piece, and I found an online store that had 13,000 part options for my Nissan Sentra. 13,000 pieces all working together so that I can go 70 miles per hour down 440 between Spring Hill and Murfreesboro. Thir- when you look at a Nissan Sentra and it's 13,000 parts, you never think there was an explosion at the Nissan factory and now this car is working. No, to see a Nissan Sentra is to know that there was a Nissan Sentra designer. Design implies designer. Second, there... Great design in the universe, so there might be 13,000 parts in a Nissan Sentra. I looked up how many atoms are in the universe. At minimum, the lowest estimate I could find was 10 quadrillion vigintillion. (laughs) That is a real number. It's a one followed by 63 zeros. That is nonsense to us. It, I, I, we cannot, fa- and there's not just a vigintillion atoms in the universe. There's t- at least 10 quadrillion vigintillion atoms all working together somehow to make trees and sunsets and sticker packs that help kids get through church services. God is, and it sounds a whole lot like Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you keep reading, you find out he created everything about it, and he said that it was good. Hey, God exists, church. And he's the causer of everything, the uncaused cause of everything, the great designer of everything, which means necessarily that he has full power, full control full wisdom in everything so we're considering a book of the Bible that doesn't mention God's name and you could read this story and think God doesn't have anything to do with anything when the truth is God has everything to do with everything God exists and everything else only exists because God exists which takes us to the second thing Esther is showing us. God is always working. He isn't, God isn't just being, He's doing. Read a few lines with me from chapter 4 again, verse 14. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And the inference, of course, is that the events that will save God's people have been prepared by God ahead of time. For such a time as this, God has been working things out. And again, I don't know what it might be that leads you to question whether or not God is present, God is active, God is doing in a difficult moment in your life. <laughs> but know that God isn't just aware of the details. He's the designer in the details. Watch the level of oversight that went into this moment in the first five chapters of Esther. I'm going to highlight with the Bible's own words, the work of God behind the to work. Just look at all that had to take place in just the right way for God to work out Esther's opportunity for God's people to be saved. Don't, you won't have time to read it all with me, so just listen. Esther 1.2. I'm sorry, Esther 1.12. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command. That has to happen. God knows what's coming. Esther one nineteen. Vashti is not to enter King Ahasuerus' presence and her royal position is to be given to another woman. God can work with that. Esther 2.2, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. God knows how this is going to go, guys. Esther 2.7, Mordecai was the legal guardian of his cousin Hadassah, that is Esther, because she had no father or mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was extremely good looking. God made her the way he made her to accomplish his purpose in her. Esther 2.8. Esther was taken to the palace into the supervision of Haggai, keeper of the women. So God's moved his person into position. Watch. Esther 2.9. The young woman pleased Haggai and gained his favor so that he accelerated the process of the beauty treatments and the special diet that she received. Of course he did. Esther 2, 16 through 17, she was taken to King Ahasuerus and the king loved Esther more than all the women. She won more favor and approval from him than did any of the other virgins. He placed the royal crown on her head and made her queen. God made an orphan into the queen. And all this happens before Haman even plots to kill all of God's people before God's people were even in danger, God had already placed his queen on the chessboard. Would you believe that Esther does decide to go before the king even though she's not been invited and even though it could mean her death because God is at work. And then Esther 5, 2 says, so she goes out on the limb for such a time as this. And as soon as the king, Queen, the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard. She gained favor with him. Verse 3, what is it, Queen Esther, the king asked her? Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom will be given to you. God is always working. Now that's not a quadrillion, vigintillion details. But that's a lot of preparation By a God who was sovereignly working even when he wasn't seen. God designing the details even when he wasn't being named. God there for his people whether they knew it or not. And that takes us to the last point today. God is always working for the good of his people. This is the best one. Because it's, though it's incredible that God exists, that alone is incredible. And though it's stunning that he is working in our midst, it's not actually good news until you know that God is working for the good purposes of his people. But guess what? Hey, guess what? God only, 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 only has good purposes for his people. Let's read again my favorite three words from the book of Esther. This is in chapter 4, verse 14. Deliverance will come. Deliverance will come. Mordecai without even saying God's name, shares the essence of his character, the core of his heart. Deliverance will come, Esther. And he tells Esther she can play her part or not. Hey, Esther, you might do it, you might not do it, but God rescues the people he loves. God is real. God is working God loves his people. Deliverance will come. And church, this is where we get to remind ourselves that Esther isn't the hero of Esther's story. Esther could have tapped out. She could have missed out. Deliverance was still coming. Esther wasn't the hero. Man, she's, I hope my daughter was just the deliverer of the day. Just like... Moses or David and so many others before her, she wasn't the real deliverer. She was just pointing us forward. Look, the deliverer is, deliverance will come. God's people pointing us ahead to Jesus, the truest, the greatest deliverer. But what's different for us than it was for Mordecai? is we're not waiting like they were waiting to see the ultimate deliverance come he's already been here we get to live knowing Jesus was already here for us in the most dramatic and life altering and universe shifting way possible so my girls used to do this thing where they tried to they don't they don't really do it anymore where they tried to test Uh, how far I would be willing to go to take care of them. They like to know, like all of us, they like to know they're loved. And they used to set me up like, Daddy, would you eat all the trash in that trash can right there? (laughs) And I'd be like, no way. But then they'd say, would you eat everything in that trash can if it was the only way to save my life? I'd tell them, of course I would. I'd eat that trash so fast, you wouldn't believe how fast I would empty out that trash can if it was the only way to save you. Or one would say, Daddy, would you, (laughs) I don't know, whatever. Would you get your arm cut off? (laughs) That's what it took to save me. And I'd tell her, of course, beauty, I would do anything in the world for you. And they always smiled real big, like they felt loved, right? But you know what? they don't know for sure. They don't know for sure. I can tell them that I would do anything for them, but until I do it, they don't know for sure. The message of the cross is that we know for sure. Deliverance has come. And there's still so many small to medium to seemingly extra large ways we need deliverance. But deliverance has come. And even in all those things, which we're going to talk about more in the next two weeks of the series. We know what God's heart for us is. The work of Jesus isn't something that we're waiting for. It's something we're waiting in. The for sureness of Jesus is not something we are living toward. It's something we are living under. We know for sure, we know for sure that God works because he's already worked. We know for sure that God wants good for us because he's already been good to us. Our deliverer has already come. So Jesus is the uncaused causer of everything. Yes, he's the great designer And he put himself into the story. Put himself right in. Why? To be tortured. To die. To be buried in our place. To accomplish the ultimate good purposes that he has for his people. He's already done the most important work. He's already delivered. He's already conquered sin. He's already defeated death. He's already working for our good. So, like when I stood with our brother last week who had just held his dead nephew. We knew something didn't look good. This doesn't look good. This doesn't look good. What do we know God does? He does good. It struck me just this was just this morning. I'm reading over my reading over this message and I I read back on page eight Vashti is not to enter King Ahasuerus's presence and her royal position is to be given to another woman. That's not good. I said to my wife on the way here, I never thought of this before Vashti got demoted For the good of God's people and for the greatness of God's glory. Sometimes we're Vashti. But God's never not good. As we'll see in the coming weeks. If we knew what God knew about what we don't know. We would know that God is good. Already proven. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him give us all things? How will he not? Deliverance has come. Deliverance will come. The message of Esther and the message of Calvary is that deliverance will come. So what we're going to do is, man, we're going to sing in a moment. We're going to have a time for you to pray either in your chair or you can come up front and, and one of us will pray with you. Where is it that you need the deliverance of Jesus? You need to know that he's working. You need to know that he's coming. Or where is it that you need to see his goodness? in what he has done. And let's pray that the Lord will give us trusting, joyful, hopeful hearts even in the questions in light of his not only his sovereignty, but his proven sacrificial love and I'm going to pray for us father. You are always there. You could not not be there. You are essential. You are the one essential thing. And you have proven your love for us on the cross. And I pray that you would help us to be people that are melted by your love. That are strengthened by your love. That are emboldened by your love. That are changed. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. (coughs) That we would look back on how you have delivered. That we would look at how you are delivering, that we, we would look ahead at how you are going to deliver. You have made things new. You are making things new. You will make things new. And so many things we don't understand, but we cannot question your heart and we cannot question your power. We can't. So help us to rest. Help us to find a way to enjoy. Help us to see things more the way you see them. Fill us up, Lord. Be with us even now as we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.